This episode of Industry Focus is supported by NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Download their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, today over at netsuite.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Monday, June 24th, and we're checking in on some major news in the financial sector. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got Fool.com's Matt Frankel with me in the studio. Matt, so many differences here in this episode already. You're in the studio. I'm hosting the show. We're throwing a lot of listeners. Yeah, we are. This is not the technology show. Just in case you were wondering, <laughs> you're not tuned into the wrong podcast. Um, this is indeed the financial show. My first time in studio with Dylan. What a treat! It is. I, I've worked with Dylan for what four or five years now, and yeah, I'm actually coming up on my five year full anniversary later this month. I remember yeah. um, your hair has changed a bit. In those, I like those to five keep years. everybody guessing, especially the people watching <laughs> these videos. You know, they make them out there. Is he going to have hair? Is he not? Is it going to be long? Is it going to be short? I don't. You never know. Well, you know, it's the inner con man in me just trying to run away from the law, <laughs> trying to keep myself, uh, you know, from being recognized. Yeah, I'm, we're, we're doing JMO a solid here today. I'm hopping into the studio because he's doing a little traveling and he's uh, he's taking some time off, and so we're going to give him a chance to take a break and take over the financial show. Yeah, I think he's actually doing the show tomorrow. Yeah, uh, so, so it's going to be like a whole you know toss up this week. Yeah, listeners aren't going to have to wait long to get him back. <laughs> yeah, he'll be he'll be here. Um, Matt, the summer is typically kind of a sleepy time on Wall Street. You know, you don't tend to see crazy, crazy news coming out. A lot of people are taking vacations, like our friend Jason Moser. One group that is not taking a break is the Federal Open Market Committee from the Federal Reserve. They stick to the job. Right. They have uh, eight meetings per year. Um, at four of those meetings are the especially big ones. June was one of them, where they release, in addition to an interest rate decision and their general statement. They release all their economic projections, which is the big deal at the June meeting uh, in March, June, September, and December, I believe, are the big ones. Um, so, this was one of the bigger ones where they released their economic projections. And this was the first one in a while where there was a big question of whether they were going to keep rates steady, cut rates. In recent meetings, it's pretty much been a foregone conclusion. You know, the, the market was pricing in, I think, a 98% chance that they would hold rates steady in the last meeting. Um, similar for the one before that. This time, it was pretty certain that they were going to keep rates steady, but they were they were pricing in about a 25% chance that there was going to be a rate cut. And this is the first time where there was really uncertainty going into the rate decision. Let's get into a little bit of why people are specifically watching these moves and the way that rates moving as a result of the Federal Open Market Committee's decisions may affect either you know the markets or just the average investor. Rate hikes are generally designed to curb inflation, things like that. So you'll see, um, you know, the cost of corporate credit go up. Things like it's generally a negative catalyst for the stock market. The Fed's trying to pump the brakes on growth. Bad for business. Um, when the Fed lowers rates, it generally is a bullish sign for the stock market. It means, you know, it's going to be cheaper for companies to borrow money. The Fed's trying to encourage economic growth. Um, right now, there's almost no inflation, so the, the Fed's trying. To um, you know, keep the economic prosperous times going, if you will. So people are waiting to see that. And with an important meeting like this, I mentioned four meetings a year are the important ones where they release economic projections. People want to see what might be coming next. Obviously, nobody has a crystal ball, including the 17 voting members of the Fed right now. But 
these are the policymakers. So people want to see what where they see things like unemployment, GDP growth going in the future. So we know if you know a recession could be in the cards, if more rate cuts could be in the cards, or rate hikes. Um, especially right now, because we have a lot of conflicting economic data. Unemployment's at what a roughly 50-year low, but there's no inflation, which are kind of contradicting signs. So a lot of people want to see what the Fed's planning to do going forward, and with these economic projections and the dot plot, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. <laughs> I will not let you get off without talking about the, the dot plot. We will be talking about the dot plot. Um, what what came out of the Federal Open Market Committee's meeting? So no rate cut, no big surprise there. Um, rates are held steady. Um, rates have not been cut in over a decade. Last time they cut rates was to zero in the wake of the financial crisis. But there were a couple significant developments. So there's four main things that happened in the Fed meeting. There was no rate cut, so the rate decision is the first one. The Fed's statement, which I can't think of a document anywhere in the world that is as closely dissected as the Fed statement, whereas every word is carefully chosen and very important because they know the market is going to be hanging on their every word. So the key word in this one was patient. In recent Fed statements, they have been saying how patient they're going to be when it comes to interest rate policy, which the market generally interprets as they're going to keep rates the same. This one, it was expected that they were going to remove the word patient, and they did. Now they're saying they are going to, you know, the economy's kind of softened, things have, you know, kind of deteriorated over the past few months. So they're, this kind of clears the way for a rate cut at their next meeting, which happens at the end of July. So that's number two. Number three, you have the dot plot, which you want to get into the dot plot. Let's talk dot okay, plot. Okay, let's talk dot plot. The dot plot shows where the 17 voting members of the Fed see interest rates going at the end of 2019, 2020, 2021, and over the long run. Recently, the dot plot showed that there were not going to be any rate cuts this year. The median projection is still for no rate cuts. However, now seven of those 17 people see two rate cuts coming this year which is the big development. That's why we saw the market rally after this Fed meeting. That was the, the dot plot was the big surprise. Um, so now seven out of the, the 17 see two rate cuts coming, one sees one rate cut coming, and eight of them see no rate cuts, one sees a rate hike, which is why you get the median of the same. But now it's generally a more dovish outlook. So if we were trying to sum it all of this up, into sure. into a nice tidy jargon free sentence. Let's let's try to do that. I know so, I'm rambling. <laughs> so well, it's it's hard not to do that. It's hard not to invoke all of these really industry specific terms sure. when we're talking about this stuff because it is kind of an academic, very heady topic. But it seems to me, as someone who does not cover financials all that often, sure. this is me reading the tea leaves here. Um, there may be rate cuts down the road. Stock market generally benefits from lower rates, borrowing's easier, money's easier, and so the market has responded very favorably to that possibility. Yes. In um, a one-sentence summary, the Fed gave the market exactly what it wanted, that now we can expect a rate cut in July, and now the market's actually pricing in several rate cuts this year. So, this definitely gave the market a reason to be happy. Um, the fear is that if rates are held steady or held high for too long, it could trigger a recession or trigger poor economic conditions. So, this kind of gives the market some relief that the Fed is going to try to do their part in keeping the economic 
good times going. And and I think with a lot of economic indicators, interest rates are one. I think like the cost of a, a you know gallon of gas is another one. Where when it's high, there are good things. When it's low, there are good things. You know, you can't look at sure. any of these in an absolute sense. You know, money being cheap is helpful, um, but you also just generally want to see the you know market chugging along and the economy chugging along in a way that forces uh, this committee to decide to raise rates as well. It's it's kind of this constant weighing machine. Right, and um. No, ideally, like the economy would be doing so well that the Fed needed to ra- raise rates another two times this year, another like three or four times over the coming few years. But unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case. But it's you know ec- the economy will go up and down. It's tough to predict. You want to see the Fed being proactive, which is exactly what we got this time. So I think that's why everyone's so happy. So we got news that we were generally expecting from the Federal Open Market Committee, and the market responded pretty favorably. In our next story, we're going to be talking about after the break. We got some news that people weren't expecting, and we saw a sell-off for one stock in particular. We're going to talk about that on the back half of the show. Before we get over there, though, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers is their patchwork quilt of business systems. One system for accounting, another for sales, another for inventory, and so on. It's just a big, inefficient mess, taking up too much time and too many resources. And that hurts the bottom line. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. NetSuite gives you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance and accounting, orders, and HR instantly, right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide. Seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com/fool. That's netsuite.com/fool to download your free guide. Seven strategies to grow your profits. netsuite.com/fool. All right, Matt. On the back half of the show, we're going to be talking about PayPal because we got news last week that COO Bill Reddy will be leaving the company at the end of 2019, and this was not news that investors were expecting. No. Um... It's never expected when a key executive like that, especially one in charge of, of something as high growth as Venmo, leaves. It's like why would you, you know? You've heard the expression "don't abandon." It's, people like to abandon a sinking ship. <laughs> this guy's abandoning a ship that's chugging ahead at full speed. <laughs> so that's why this kind of catches investors off guard a little bit. I think that this move makes a little bit more sense when you understand how Reddy got to PayPal. And maybe how he just generally thinks about his career and you know his his kind of path in the corporate world. Um, he was acquired back in 2013 when PayPal bought his company Braintree, and he has largely been in charge of Venmo during that time. Um, to me, he seems like he's someone who's a little bit of a serial entrepreneur, someone who likes to take on high growth opportunities. And the reason that the company gave for him leaving was that he was going to be doing just that. He is. Pursuing other entrepreneurial efforts um, certainly better than something bad coming out about him uh, and the company having to deal with that. But it is tough to lose someone who is so key to the efforts of maybe the highest growth opportunity for them. Sure, I mean PayPal is you know a tremendous machine right now. Um, I think what are they making um, nineteen billion dollars in or sixteen billion dollars in revenue over the past couple twelve months? Uh, Hundred billion dollars in payment volume they're on track to do this year. And Venmo is not a big profitable machine yet. 
it's the highest growth machine. It's accounts for a lot of that $100 billion of payment volume, but they haven't really been able to monetize it yet. And as we were talking about a little bit before we were before the show, when you're going from something that's currently free to trying to monetize it, it's very, very touchy. Um, th- there are a lot of products right now that are growing rapidly that people use because they're free. Yeah, I think it's very easy to throw a party and tell people to come over. They don't have to pay for beer or snacks or anything like sure. that. We'll cover the cost of that. You just have a good time. I think it's a little tougher to get people to come to a bar where drinks are 10 bucks. Sure, and that's kind of the, the tricky part. It can be done. I'm sure you, this is a more trendy area than I live in. <laughs> but I'm sure you know of a lot of bars with very expensive drinks that have, you know, you can't even walk in. Yeah. So it can be done. It's just a matter of, figuring out the way to add value to consumers that makes sense paying for. And it can be a very touchy process with a lot of growing pains. So, when you lose a leader like this, who's you know, owned this thing since day one, essentially, the, the running of Venmo, um, this kind of it throws a lot of uncertainty into the equation. Markets hate uncertainty is kind of the key thing to know when you see an executive leave and the stock takes a dive. This happened not that long ago with Square, we were talking about, um, where CFO Sarah Fryer decided to leave. She accepted a CEO role. Great for her. But she was really like the rock star of the company. She had been the public face of Square, kind of um, emphasizing what they were going to do in the future, kind of owning their future vision of becoming a one-stop financial institution for Americans. So, when she left, the stock took a dive. It was about $100 when she announced her resignation. Now, it's at about 70 so, it just adds a lot of uncertainty. Is PayPal's business inherently worth less than it was before this announcement? No, absolutely not. But it kind of brings up a lot of unanswered questions. Yeah, I think you look at his resume in his time at PayPal slash Venmo, however you want to categorize it. Um, pretty darn impressive. You know, they've gotten this platform, this peer-to-peer payments platform, to the point where they have, I think, 40 million users uh, that are fairly active. On there, and he has done quite a bit to position them well in the space. You know, one of the big things that he really prioritized was getting some collaborative efforts out there with the credit card companies, and and kind of having something that was, uh, you know, what we're not totally competition, we're not totally friends, we're right. kind of in this frenemy space. And I think there are a lot of people that maybe wouldn't have done that. Right, and integrating with a lot of these other um, free payment platforms. Just in the past few days, they announced uh, Google Pay would start integrating PayPal, which. Someone else might have thought of that as a competitor and something to stay away from. But now PayPal's becoming, or Venmo's everywhere now. Um, I was one of the late adopters. I'm a little older. so <laughs> I, I was a little earlier than you, but still a little bit on the tail end here. He's a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really my fault. Wait, you're not a millennial? I'm an older millennial. I'm a millennial by like three months. You and Brian Feroldi are both like <laughs> trying to separate yourself from the millennial tag. I, th- I think you're firmly millennial. We didn't grow up with technology. Is the difference between older millennials? I didn't. This is I didn't have my first cell phone until I was 19, and that was common. Yeah. Um, we had a beep. I had a beeper in high school. You probably remember <laughs> those from when you were like five. I don't. I, I've only ever seen them in ER <laughs> right. and Scrubs. Um, and and actually, that actually cues up something kind of interesting here with Reddy. I mean, he was one of the younger members of the executive team as well. And I think a lot of people were looking at the success that he's had and thought, you know, this might be the guy that runs this company down the road. Right. And people don't want 
to see, especially with a product like Venmo, people don't want to see an old school financial executive running these. They want the up. They, this is why you know Jack Dorsey is such a you know highly regarded CEO. He's a younger guy. He's actually my age. See, there you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> you could be running Square. I could, but um, no. The people don't want to see an old timey financial guy running something like this. They want the young, motivated guy who's growth oriented, is willing to grow at all costs. Um, doesn't use traditional, like, you know, doesn't have traditional views of competition, like you were just mentioning. So, the question is, what do they do now? Yeah, yeah, Matt. When you see all of this, you know, and and we saw how Square tried to navigate this with Sarah Fryer, who was very similar to um, Bill Reddy. You know, w- w- do you look at this and say, okay, they got to go out there and get somebody else? Do you think that this is a situation where they hire internally? You know, what do you think of that? In order to calm the market's fears. They need to hire someone who's either integral to Venmo right now, maybe his second in command or something, or someone who's just been an absolute rock star in the financial industry, like hire Sarah Fryer for the role or something to that effect. <laughs> Not that so, you, know, you know how you left this role that you're doing a great <laughs> right. job in to take an executive role? You want to be a COO again? <laughs> right. So, um, so, but someone to, who's had like that kind of like financial stardom in the space, if you will, um, they need to make a you know it's a statement with whoever they have replace ready. Yeah, and that's a tough challenge, you know. I, I think that big shoes to fill. Big shoes to fill. And to your point, I mean this is not something that dramatically changes the PayPal that we know right now. And you know, you look at I think they are set for 300 million in uh, annual revenue. I think that's the run rate they're on for 2019, which you know, in the grand scheme of the 16 billion that they've pulled in over the last 12 months, not that consequential. Sure. But over the next five years, this is what you expect to be a very large component of the revenue mix for PayPal. And anything that throws that off its trajectory is going to have people scared. Absolutely. And um, like I said, I, I'm optimistic because you know it's not just one person who's behind Venmo. <laughs> I don't know how many employees they have that are working exclusively on Venmo right now, but I'd have to imagine it's in the hundreds at least. I would think so. I'd hope so. You know, so, as, right, as someone so, who loves the service, uses the service, but, and is a shareholder. But the point is, the success doesn't just rise and fall with whoever's the captain of the ship. I mean, it takes a whole crew to do it. So, I love buying companies on dips like this. I was very tempted to add to Square when they let Sarah Fryer go. But I couldn't stop talking about it, so I wasn't allowed to buy anymore. Um, we've run into similar issues constantly. Yes, and then you know that's the the issue that you run into with uh, having strict trading guidelines. Right, and um, I don't have any PayPal in my portfolio right now. I used to, but um, I, I inherited it in the eBay spinoff. But after a move like this, if if we still see depressed prices, I'd be very tempted. I mean, these are good situations for long term investors. It's Will they get over this uncertainty? Will they figure out how to move forward and carry out their vision? I believe they will. So I love investing in situations like this where the only you know X factor is the departure of a key executive. Yeah, and you have to think, you know, he's been at the company now for I think five and a half years, something like that, is not leaving for another five months, mm-hmm. six months. So he has the opportunity to lay out the blueprint for right. where things should go. And make sure that the people that they bring in to help him uh, execute on that do that. You know, it's not like okay, here's the bag, I'm running off. You know, there there is time to set up all of this stuff and for them to create a pretty solid roadmap. Um, hopefully, they can execute on that. Right, that's roughly 10% of his entire tenure at the company that's still ahead of him. <laughs> yeah, when you when you look at the numbers, so yeah, he still has a lot of time to you know get them in a good place to move forward. 
All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Matt, thanks for hopping on today's show. So great to have you in the studio with me for the first time. Of course. We'll have to do this again. Maybe I'll hop on your show next time. You want to talk fintech? We could. There's tech in the name. We can make it happen. (laughs) All right, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus@fool.com, or you can tweet us at MFIndustryFocus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, or you can check the videos from this podcast over on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Dan Boyd for all his work behind the glass today. For Matt Frankel, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!